Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Yeah, it's all about being unstuck. That's what the whole series has been about. You're stuck. You're, you're, you're not sure where you're going in life. You're not sure where you're headed. You're trying to figure some things out. You're being overwhelmed. So this series has been designed to help us think through the story of our lives that God is writing and dealing with the challenges of of living our lives in such a way that honors God and at the same time being honest about where we are. And so that's what we're going to continue on doing today. In fact, we're wrapping up this series. This is the last sermon in the book of James. Totally enjoy this time. Next week, we're starting a new series called Seven Letters, and it's going to be the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the various letters to the churches in Revelation. It's going to be awesome. But if there's one statement that I could give you today that would encapsulate the entire message, so everything I'm saying in the next few minutes here can be boiled down to this one statement, I'm going to give it to you right up front. It's kind of like in the military, they say, bottom line up front. This is it right here. It is this statement. We must aggressively pray for and look out for one another so that we will all make it home. We must aggressively, not passively, not now maybe once in a while, but with aggression, pray for and look out for one another so that we will all make it home. Speaking of the military, one of the great privileges I have, as most of you know, is I get to be a, um, serve as a chaplain in the Air Force Reserve. And it's a wonderful opportunity that I've had. And a lot of times when they have various ceremonies, I get to be involved with that, given the invocation and things like that. But when they do a, a military ball or any kind of celebratory event, they'll usually have a little ceremony for the POWs and the MIAs. And it's a, it's a very solemn, it's very quick, but it's very solemn. And they have at the front, it'll be a big, huge banquet hall and tables set up everywhere. And they'll have a little table in the front that there no one is sitting at. And the smallness of the table represents the fact that our prisoner of war, our, our comrade missing in action is alone. And there's be an empty chair signifying the fact that that person is not able to be with us. There is a plate of sliced lemons representing the bitter tears of the person who was suffering, a rose representing the families of the loved ones, a yellow candle and ribbon representing the hope of seeing them again, and an upside-down wine glass demonstrating the fact that while we're all toasting, they don't get to do that. And so... As much as I would like to consider myself a person of just, you know, steel emotions. Like I could, I don't, I would never cry. I always get a little bit choked up when I think about all the things that this little table represents and they read a little passage along with it. And shortly after that, I'll get to, you know, the Post of Colors, do the National Anthem, somewhere around there, and then I get to give the invocation. And when I pray... I pray with great seriousness. We always pray for those who are deployed downrange, that God watches over them, that he lifts 
and refreshes their hearts. And he gives them courage that they could have never had on their own. And he brings every single one of them home safely. And so when I, and by the way, if you're hearing crazy stuff over there, that is our children's ministry. They decided to pop balloons and stuff. So um, if, if you hear noise coming from that wall, that means kids think that God is fun. And that's what we want. So I've given them permission to make noise um, because we're trying to engage our kids as much as possible. So don't worry about the noise you're hearing through the wall. Some of you are like, what's going on over there? It's little kids. Um, but anyway, and they're having a great time. But here's the thing. It's in those moments when I pray, when we're about to send some people downrange, which happens a lot, and the commanders say, can you come? In those moments when I pray, I pray like I mean it. And not that I don't pray for other, you know, other times like I mean it, but you know what I'm saying. It's like you're praying with a sense of great consequence. And when you're praying, you're actually praying, God, this is serious because these things are outside of our hands. We're sending people out into a faraway place and we don't know what's going to happen. And so our prayers are serious because we understand the stakes so why are things so different in the church? I mean, I get it. We're, we're not at war. Or, or are we? No, we don't have an enemy. Or do we? Because last time I checked, the Bible says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Last time I checked, we have an infiltrator inside the wire as Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and he lurks in the shadows you don't know. And so what happens is for some reason, when one of us goes missing, when one of us gets wounded, when one of us is trapped, when one of us gets weary, we are so quick in the church to leave them behind. We shouldn't do that. So James is gonna tell us in no uncertain terms that we must be aggressively praying for and looking out for one another so that we will all make it home. And so this is what he says in the passage, starting with verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lengthy passage. By the way, I told you last week, I kicked verse 12 down to this week, and then I'm not covering verse 12 this week because it's not like it's that huge, but there's so much to talk about today. So we're going to do a podcast because we haven't done one in a long time. So we'll be looking for a podcast to come out this week that will talk about verse 12 and a bunch of other things that we want to just give you updates on as well. So in any case, for those of you that are taking notes going, you said you'd talk about verse 12. That's what we're going to do. 
So he starts out with three conditions and then three corresponding to-dos. He says, are you suffering? If you're suffering, then you should take this to the Lord in prayer. If, are, are you cheerful? Then you should sing praise. And the idea is like, in life there's fluidity. You know, there's seasons. You, so if you're suffering, you're not always gonna suffer. At least you hope you don't. And when you're suffering, you gotta recognize. So last week we talked about when you're in the middle of that story, you gotta be able to step out and say, hey, I'm in a hard time right now. Don't just be so overwhelmed that you're like freaking out. I don't know what to do, but step outside and say, wait a second, this is a challenge. I gotta, I gotta un- understand that I'm in a season of challenge. Or if you're cheerful, this is a season of goodness. And that's when you really gotta say, God, thank you for this. This is, I don't know how long this is gonna last, but you gotta treasure those times. So those are the first two. But then the third one is a little bit tricky. Because he says, are you sick? If so, call the elders. They'll dump some oil on you and you'll be healed. Oh, and by the way, your sins will be forgiven. Well, that's kind of weird. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Because is that that real? Is that like, is that what you do? You you get sick and you call the elders. They oil you up a little bit on your head or whatever. And then boom, you're fine. Well, I don't know about that. So what's going on? Well, if we want to understand this, the first thing we have to do is look at the word sick. What do we mean when we say sick? Well, in the one hand, in the original language it was written, it can mean physically sick, certainly, but it can also mean weary, weak, or tired in the spiritual sense. Spiritual weakness, spiritual fatigue, which can be tied to physical ailments, of course. That can knock you out like nothing else, but it's not limited to that. Now, this is important because the whole letter, the whole time James has been talking about suffering in the midst of trials, bearing up, getting through the difficulty, trying to see where God is taking us. And he's saying there may be a time when you get really tired. And if you do, that's when you need to reach out and wave the white flag and say, I need some help. Now, the problem, though, is when we think that the word sick just means physically ill, then when we read the passage, we come up with a conclusion that is very similar to what is offered in what's called the word faith movement, which is typically the kind of thing you see on most Christian TV stations, right? You see these guys, these good-looking dudes, they have these nice stages, and they get up there and they say, are you sick? Do you have a problem? Are you deep in debt? Here's what you got to do. You got to sow a seed in faith, which is code for give me money. And they got the little number on the bottom of the screen, get on their website. Boom, I'm going to send them 50 bucks or whatever I got. And they're going to pray for me and I'm going to be healed. You see this kind of thing. And if you have enough faith, it'll work, right? Or you see like guys like Benny Hinn. You You go to these big crusades. Guy brings you up on stage, Benny Hinn whacks you on the head, you fall over, boom, your IBS is gone. Whoa! I didn't know it was that easy. But is it that easy? You say, well, that's a great plan. What's the problem? The problem is it doesn't work. What do you mean it doesn't work? Are you saying that God doesn't heal people? God does heal people. But God is not a cosmic vending machine. God isn't someone you pump quarters into and hit a button and then you get what you want. But that's the kind of stuff that's sold. And it produces untold amounts of guilt and false hope in people who give sometimes all they have. Because these guys are up there going, look, man, it's all about faith. 
If you don't get healed, it ain't my problem. I'm the holy guy. If you don't get healed, if you don't get your Mercedes Benz, if you don't get out of debt, if you don't get the thing that you want, guess what? It's your fault because you don't have enough faith because the Bible says the prayer of faith will save you. And Jesus says, if you had enough faith, you can move a mountain. You can take the white tanks and chuck them over the Astraeus. How about that? Right? I guess I don't have enough faith. That's why you lost. And that's the kind of stuff. And that's not what this passage is saying at all. Now, does God heal people? Yes, he does. I have prayed for people who have been in really bad places and God has healed them. God has kept them alive. Okay, but I am not a miracle worker. I can't come and, you know, lay a hand on your face and watch your like missing teeth come in. This is what people will say. Oh, I've seen teeth grow back. Okay, well, I haven't. But there's but this is the kind of stuff that's out there. Now, this is very important. Because if we really understand this, then we understand a larger picture of what he's saying. It's not just about you get sick, call these guys over, they'll slap some oil on you, you're done. No, it is the idea that there are weary people out there and it is okay to wave the right white flag and reach out. And in this church, it is okay for you to go through struggles and hard times and yes, even doubts. Look what it says in Romans chapter 14, because this is a th similar theme. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinion, he goes on, but welcome the person that's struggling. In Acts chapter 20, in all things, Paul says, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And the reality is that some of us are gonna uh, struggle with all kinds of different things throughout our lives. And when you're always trying to be the one that looks like you have it all together, you're not understanding that even the purpose of the church. This church, and I want you to know, this church is a place where you can come and you can be honest about what's really going on in your life. Now, there's cynical people out there that'll say, uh, you know, and you see, and they post things on social media, and they're like, oh, church has failed me, and all the church does is they say one thing, and they do another, and yada, yada. Look, no one's perfect, okay? And we can't, we can't, you know, it's like, I'm not Pedro from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I can't make all your wildest dreams come true, okay? That's a pretty good reference, by the way. Uh, you know, we can't do that. But we can be honest and say, we're trying to create something here where you can be real, okay? So, what does it mean? Oh, and by, so what's the whole thing about anointing with oil? Well, you know, what does that mean? Well, some of you are familiar with the tradition where if a person who's in the hospital and they're like gravely ill, right? And, and they're really, really sick. Sometimes they'll call and say, please have the elders come and, and anoint me with oil. And that usually means you bring a little bit of, not like motor oil, you know, you bring like, you know, like olive oil or whatever, and you put it on their forehead and it's a sign. It's kind of like saying, hey God, we're like really serious about this. And a lot of times, to be honest, in our tradition, it's more like kind of like a Hail Mary, you know? It's like, we've tried everything else. Let's put some oil on this guy's head because maybe that'll work. And, and so it's kind of like a little Hail Mary pass to God. And it's one of those things you kind of just, when the doctor's like, we don't know what to do anymore, right? And that's what just like, you're calling in the big guns at that point. So my joke is, hey, and I, I know it's kind of dark humor, but you got to humor me. It's like, if you're in the hospital and you see me come down the hall with a thing of oil and I'm flanked by like Mike and Gabe and a few other guys, you got problems, baby. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Like, 
And it's not just a normal day for you. Like the doctors are going, we, we don't know what to do. So we're going to call on these guys. So, and this is what happened. And, and by the way, we've done it. We have no problem doing it. It's, it's a great thing. But let's talk about what it actually means. Because people get confused. Is there actual healing power in oil? Or if you don't do it, have you kind of like somehow been disobedient to God? And again, this is where the language is important. Because the word, the phrase oil here has to do not so much with a ceremonial type of thing, like I place oil on you, as much as it does a refreshing aspect of oil. Because in that day, if you wanted to kind of freshen yourself up, you put a little oil on your face, right? Just to make yourself look a little more alive. Because the sun would beat you down and, you know, the dry air and everything else. And you just, people look kind of crummy. They couldn't necessarily take showers every day. So they'd get a little oil on themselves and they would just look a little more alive. In fact, Jesus himself picked up on this and was talking about this in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. So the idea is, when you're fasting, don't walk around going, oh, it's so hard. I'm trying to be holy, but I'm so hungry. But look at me, how holy I am. And my face is falling apart from no calories. Jesus is going, don't be like that. Don't act like one of these holy. Do it in secret. Put some oil on your face so you you look healthy. Don't let anyone know. So it was a sign of that. Now again, here's what's awesome about that. Because not only do we have the word sick being spiritually weak, and James is saying the church should be a place for people who are struggling spiritually and maybe having doubts and concerns and questions. I don't know if I can, my, my marriage isn't doing well, or, or I'm, I, I don't know, I'm tired of the, all this time that I feel so lonely. I thought God would have answered that by now. I thought this issue would be resolved by now, and it's still going on, and I'm starting to wave the white flag. And, and so we're supposed to be a community of people that can, that can welcome and receive everyone who is weak and actually pray for them. But the oil isn't just about, oh, hopefully you'll get healed, but it's a sign and it's an indicator of refreshment, that we are to refresh and encourage one another, that we are to give life to one another and revitalize one another with what we know and how we speak and how we come alongside. And that's the goal. And this is how we are to act. And I want to just say again, if you come here to this church, you know, it's, you have the right to say what's really on your mind about what's going on in your heart. And it doesn't mean that you can, you know, well, I believe this, I believe, we have a certain set of beliefs, of course, but we all struggle. You know, my, my son's gonna be going off to University of Chicago in a few weeks, and, and um, in preparation for it, they sent him this book. I mean, they, they actually, it's a nice book, it's bound and everything, they spent money to send him a book on their policy of free speech. Because they know in a lot of universities right now that there's a clamp down on free speech. Because, it, because if you say something, it's going to offend somebody and it's going to cause them to need a safe space or they're going to have a microaggression against them. And so there's a real, the, the pendulum now is you better watch what you say or you're busted. Your University of Chicago says we believe in the free exchange of ideas. And you have to maybe defend what you say, but we just want to, we want every prospective student or every admitted student who's going to be here on our campus in a few weeks, you're going to get this book and be expected to read it. This is our policy. We let people say what is really on their mind. It's pretty awesome. And I would say the same is true here. Meaning, if you're struggling, don't feel like you have to have it all together here at this church. So what does this look like for us? Well, this is why we have connection groups here at Compass. 
And this is why the purpose of connection groups is not merely Bible knowledge. Don't say, and again, nothing wrong with the phrase Bible study, but Bible study kind of misses the point because you can study the Bible on your own. You can listen to a podcast. You can read a book. That's all well and good. But the ultimate purpose of connection groups is not Bible study. It is helping us get home together. It is walking with each other. It is the opportunity to refresh and revitalize and restore and pray for another person on the journey. That's why it's here. That's why we don't put a huge, um, big um, um, importance on people having all this accuracy you know, of like, we're going we're gonna to start. We don't want it to be an intimidating experience. We want you to come as you are and say, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to grow. I want to grow, but here's where I'm struggling, right? And you're free to be who you are. In fact, it's important. I mentioned about a while back that I, I had this weightlifting coach that I hired um, out of North Carolina. She's a power lifter, and she could take all of you guys down. I mean, she's a strong woman, okay? And she's part of this weightlifting group, and they were competing and all these things. And uh, so, but I hired her to, to, as a coach, to like write me little programs, and I have a little rig in my garage, and I do it, um, what she tells me to do. And I get like new things every month, and it's worked out pretty well. Well, one of the things that she told me to do is she said, I want you, I'm going to give you an invitation to this pri- our little private Facebook group, and I want you to upload videos of yourself performing these movements so that we can evaluate you. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I get on there, and I start looking at like all the other people that are posting on there, and they're like actual weightlifters, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of like, I'm just trying to not get old. <laughs> these people are lifting houses. Okay, and I'm looking at them and going, oh, these are like actual athletes. Like, they're going to competitions. Like, they're competing, you know? And so I'm looking at this, I'm going, I don't want to post, like, my videos up there, <laughs> you know? So what I started doing was, like, I set the camera angle a certain way so that you can't see how much weight I'm not lifting. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, you can, but, like, I kind of set it so it kind of looks like I'm lifting. Like, you, it's very hard to tell. And so... So I've been doing that because I'm like, I just, I don't want to like, right? So I, 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 and I look at it and I only, well, I've only been posting like my successes, right? So if I get a lift right, I'll post that. But if I fail, I'm like, yeah, delete that. Um, and so that, so I start posting. I'm like, okay, this doesn't look too bad. And I'm really cryptic. I'm like, you know, I'm writing in. I'm like, well, I did a 85%. Like, I don't want to actually say what I actually lifted. So um, this is how, how it is. So finally she starts saying, she goes, you know, Tim, you need to post not only your successes, but you need to post your failures as well. Because you don't learn anything from your successes. You only learn from your, we can't help you if we don't see what you're doing wrong. And I think that's the way it is in the church. We don't want to post our failures. Because we get on, we're looking, we're looking at all these other people in the church who are like, these are the real athletes. These are the real Christians. These are the real holy people. I suck compared to all these people. I don't want to show them what I'm really doing. And it's the same kind of thing. And so what I've found is, then I'll, I'll type in my little updates and stuff. And I go, well, you know, my shoulder's been hurting. And I only got like three out of the five workouts in. And I'm like, God, I just feel like I'm the guy in the back of the line, you know. And I'm always waiting for her to like write back and go, you know, Jacobs, we're actually trying to get a, 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 a you know, a real weightlifting group here. Um, you know, I don't have time for this. Why don't you just go on YouTube and find an old jazzercised video, you know. Get some leg warmers and, you know. Just act your age. Um, and, uh, and this is what I'm waiting for, right? But it never happens because every time she writes back, she's always like, 
hey, you know what, man, you're doing great. You know, that's okay, hang in there. You know, here's some stuff to help with your shoulder and why don't you think about this? And here's what I get, I get coaching and I get mercy. That's so cool, I get coaching and I get mercy. And that's what you get when you come here. You get coaching and you get mercy, okay? But I, I, I fail sometimes, okay, we all fail sometimes. But I, I don't feel like I'm really living my life very well for the Lord, okay, well, welcome to the club. What we need is we know what's going on in your life so we can pray for you because this is a long journey and you're gonna get weak sometimes and you're gonna need a little oil. You're gonna need a little refreshment in your soul. That's why we're here. You know, there's people out there that go, well, you know, I could be a Christian and not go to church. Well, whatever. I mean, that's cool. But did you ever think about the fact that maybe we need you here? We actually need you here to be a source of refreshment for other people. It's not just about you. I don't need church. Well, the church needs you. I mean, not in that state that you're currently in, but the church needs you to actually realize why you've been called. And one of the reasons you've been called is to be a blessing and a refreshment and an encouragement and a prayer warrior for other people. Just saying. So we must aggressively pray for and look out for one another so that we will all make it home. So what does that look like? Well, look at verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now notice how it says confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess your sins to a priest. Now I know I'm not trying to throw rocks at our Catholic friends, but I'm just telling you what it says. And there's a whole book behind James called Hebrews that says that Jesus is actually the high priest, capital H, capital P, and he's always making uh, intercession for us. He's always making sacrifice for us. No offense, we don't need another priest because here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you are a priest. It's called the priesthood of all believers. It's in 1 Peter. Read about it. You're a royal priesthood, which means if you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and surrender yourself to him, you are qualified to listen to and encourage and yes, even bring healing to your brother and sister who is struggling. They say, this is what I'm struggling. Well, how are you, how are you healed from your, how are you healed? Well, listen, when you confess your sins, a lot of times what you're doing is you're getting it out. The worst thing you can do is struggle alone. When you get it out there, you know, you'll hear half the time someone go, yeah, I get it. I understand. I feel the same way too. Oh, and there's healing in that, just in that alone, let alone any advice you might receive or whatever. Knowing that you're not alone that you have a few friends that could actually walk with you and you're real. You're not put on this stupid, phony, ridiculous Christian face. So then it says a prayer of a righteous person has great power. What does that mean? You ever wonder, because I, I always wonder, like, what does that mean that a prayer of a righteous person, some translations say, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, like God doesn't listen to the prayer of an unrighteous person? I mean, like, how does that work? So why is a righteous person's prayer effective? Well, the answer is really simple. Because a righteous person knows what to pray for. A righteous person knows what to pray for because they've aligned themselves with the will of God. They're not perfect. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. But they are trying to live their lives by saying, I want to honor God in all I do. And that naturally begins to change the trajectory of their life where they're making decisions and seeing things in such a way that they want to do the will of God. So they will know how to pray for you. 
This is one of my wife's favorite verses, by the way. She's always talking about the prayer of a righteous person. Is my wife is a prayer warrior, by the way. She's, she goes, I'm, she's kind of quieter, but she prays a lot. I think quieter people are better prayers. I think that people like me that talk all the time, we don't, we're not always praying. But like my wife, she's a, she's a prayer warrior. In fact, like there'll be times like, what are you doing? I'm praying. I was like, there'll be times like, you know, late at night, you know, hey, honey, kids are asleep. What are you doing? I'm praying. Oh. All right. Well, I don't want to get in the way of you and God. You know, no, I'm, I'm kind of half joke. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <clears throat> doesn't always happen like that. Um, probably doesn't really. But anyway, whatever. Let's just move on. But she's a prayer warrior. That's all I'm telling you. But. But so, and, and she, because she believes that as you live your life in a godly way and you bring things before the Lord, that he actually answers them. So my challenge to you is this, that you and I have a responsibility. Listen to this, listen to this. You and I, I don't care who you are in this crowd, you and I have a responsibility to live righteously. Not perfectly, but righteously, so that our prayers for our brothers and sisters who are waving the white flag and are weak and are struggling, our prayers for them will be effective. There was a story that came out a few days ago that has, I think, under the surface, really troubled a lot of people, which is why it continues to be on pretty much every news outlet, regardless of political affiliation or, or whatever. It's even with the hurricane and the terrible Texas shooting, it continues to stay in the feed. Debbie Stevens, 47 years old, driving her paper route in Arkansas, same route she's been driving for 21 years. This day, last week, she's driving and she doesn't see the water that had flooded the street from a storm. She drove into it. Her car got stuck. Debbie can't swim. She's a little scared. She calls 911 and says, I'm stuck, can someone please help me? Yeah, hang on, ma'am. Okay, I'm sorry. Where are you? I, I'm trying to tell you where I'm not exactly sure where I am because what happens is the car begins to kind of move a little bit because the floodwaters are beginning to come up. Will you please send someone? Ma'am, you're freaking out. You shouldn't have driven into that water anyway. You learned your lesson for next time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just, I'm scared. For 20 minutes, this phone call goes on. And Debbie, whose car is beginning to fill with water, is getting increasingly scared and panicking, and she's beginning to cry. And she says, I'm sorry, but I really need help. I really need someone to find. Lady, you need to stop talking. You're wasting oxygen. You need that oxygen. Stop talking. We're doing everything we can, blah, 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 blah. As the new story puts it, 
this 911 operator scolding her for being in the water and for being so scared. She says, I can't swim. And the waters are rising higher and higher. She says, my car, my horn isn't working anymore. Well, what do you expect? I'm afraid my phone is going to break. Well, don't worry about your phone. You have bigger problems than your phone. Finally, she's, the waters are coming up so high, and she's getting so afraid. She says, I think I have to vomit. And the woman says, well, fine, vomit. Who cares? You already got water in your car anyway. It's not going to matter. Finally, as the waters begin to come up to her neck, and she's crying uncontrollably, you can hear this on the released audio. She is crying uncontrollably. I am going to die. I don't want to die. Ma'am, you need to shut up. Finally, she says, will you pray with me? And the 911 operator says, you start. Fine, you, you start. You start. Well, wait a second. I thought the whole thing was don't talk because you're wasting oxygen. I thought the whole plan was don't say anything so you can survive. You pray. And so the woman says, Father, please rescue me from this water. And it gets higher and higher and higher until finally the 911 operator says, Miss Debbie, Miss Debbie, I think she's underwater. And she drowned. This 911 operator, who I will not call out by name, because that's not my purpose, but this 911 operator, when, was, when she was asked to pray for a woman who was in the final moments while the flood waters were coming up to her mouth and getting into her mouth and up into her nose where she could no longer speak, she said, you pray. And why did she think, why do you think she said that? Because she didn't know how to pray. She never thought five minutes about how to pray for a desperate person. She didn't know what to say, so she punted it to the woman to pray for herself, and as far as anyone's concerned, for her to just die alone. And that, my friends, is the beautiful, most magnificent expression of secularism that you could possibly have. That moment was the magnum opus of secularism. It was secularism at its very, very best. Darwin in the flesh, dwelling among us. Survival of the fittest. You drove in the water. It's your fault. You learn your lesson. And it'll be a cold day in hell before I pray for you. The reason that we cultivate righteousness, 
And the reason that we walk with confidence about our faith and the reason that we steep ourselves in the grace of God and in the mercy of God and in the reality of a resurrected body, a life beyond this tragic world is not just for ourselves, but that so that when the 911 call comes in and someone says, I am drowning here, can someone pray for me? You have the depth and the capacity and the understanding and the courage and the knowledge to say, Father God, please wrap your arms around this woman right now and give her comfort that she's never experienced in her life and remind her that she has been under your care. You've watched over her from the moment she was conceived every day of her life and you're not going to stop now. You love her. You gave yourself up for her. You gave your very son for her. And so I ask that you would surround that car with your angels and yes, supernaturally you would help some rescue worker identify the location of her vehicle so that she can be saved. But regardless, God, we are not going to give hope, give up hope. We know that you are there and we know that you are real and we know that you've not forgotten her and we will continue to pray because of the great grace of, and power that is given by the name of Jesus Christ. That's how you pray for a dying person. But it doesn't matter. Who knows, by the way? Well, would she have been saved? We'll never know. Because no one prayed for her. I mean, the Bible says Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. You see, what God wants from us and for us is to involve us in the outworking of his will. Well, how do you know if prayer changes God's mind, right? I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do, right? Isn't God going to do his will? Yes, he is. And guess what? His will is that you pray. You ever think about that? Well, I don't know what God's will is. God's will is that you pray, dude. What if he doesn't save me? I don't know. I can't. God doesn't. I, God has his ways. But I can tell you this. If you don't pray and he doesn't act, then you didn't pray and he didn't act. That was what happened. That was the story. But you and I are writing the story. We don't know what the story is. We are writing it. So you write it with prayer. And you drag your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors and the people closest to you to the throne of God. And you say, God, this is serious. We all need to come home safely. God, can you make that happen? We look out for one another. And we pray for one another aggressively so that we will all make it home. Have you taken responsibility for the people in your life around you? And I'm sorry. I don't mean, I don't mean to jump on some of you. Some of you in here, your life is so unmanageable that everyone's gotta help you. And some of you need to pull it together so you can actually carry someone else for once in your life. Now there's others of you that are legitimately in a position where you need to be carried along for a little bit. You're waving the white flag and that's what this church is here for. But there's others of you that need to get off it so you can start being the man and the woman God made you to be, which isn't an isolated person swimming in some stream somewhere, but somebody who actually is able to get out and grab others and help them along the journey. 
which means you have to strengthen yourself, steep yourself in the grace and redemption of Jesus. I'm gonna have our worship team come out and if you're struggling right now in your life, if you feel like the floodwaters are coming up to your neck, I want you to know that your life matters to God. And we love you. And it's okay to struggle and it's okay to go through times of doubt. But you hang in there. The final page hasn't been written. As we sing this song, I want you to think about what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to up the game in your own life? To call you so that you can be someone who other people actually look to and say, I think I believe in Jesus more because of him or because of her. Think about that now as we sing this song. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no to make this our prayer.
Father God, that is our prayer, that you would reveal your heart to us, that we listen closely and catch the rhythm of your heart beating, that we can match our heart to yours, that we'd have uh, the full realization that what you've pulled us out of, that our hearts would be stirred with affection for you, that we would see people as you see them, that we would we would long and desire and pray earnestly for them to turn their lives to you, that that we would have desperate, authentic prayers as we see people in need around us. So God, we offer you not just this morning or a couple moments of our time, but we offer our hearts and we say, God, take them and change them. It's in the name of your precious and holy son that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info. And we'll see you next time.